Prequel, sequel, remake! Some movies shouldn't exist, but let's pretend they do. I'm Peter Hunter. I'm Desmond Port. And I'm Scott Hanshew. And this podcast is dedicated to providing an imaginative platform for the extended world of the very few movies that have never seen a prequel, nor a sequel, nor a remake. <laughs> and we are live in the studio. How's everybody doing? I'm doing great, guys. I'm doing great, guys. I would, I would say, like, 7 out of 10. What you guys been up to this week? You guys see any new movies or anything? That's their what they're what move us. They move through us and and change us in ways that are imperceptible. You know, the art is all about reaching deep into the text and and sifting between the lines and and really really digging deep and 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 and, and yearning. A lot of yearning going on. Spoken like a true film major, Scott. You know. And speaking of films and major films, Let's talk about this week's movie on prequel, sequel, remake. Scott? Deep Blue Sea, the 1999 thriller, starring Tom Jane, Samuel L. Jackson, and Alice Cooper, among others. Alice Cooper's guy? Alice Cooper's not in that movie. Alice Cooper's not in that movie. Who am I thinking of? Um, I think you're thinking of LL Cool J? I got it mixed up all the time. Scott, you're not- There is an L in there, and there's a Coo. So you know what? It it probably was out. It, it, I'm I'm halfway certain. Okay, yeah. uh, I'm doing the write up of the uh, the announcement for the movie next week because Alice Cooper's definitely not in that movie. Oh, all yeah. right. Well, let, I mean, let, yeah. let's just go over the yeah, full sy- aggro does right here. Let's do the the brief synopsis as it is uh, appears online. <clears throat> so at the underwater laboratory of Aquatica. A group of scientists and naturalists experiment on a group of mutated sharks and attempt to find a cure for Alzheimer's disease. However, when the hyperintelligent sharks break out of their holding cells, the scientists quickly discover that they are now the prey. I'm sorry, I hate to go back, but who are you confusing Alice Cooper with? Ella uh, Cool J. We, I think it was Ella Cool yeah. J. Just based on the name. It happens all the time, Desmond. Get off your high horse. There's no high look, horse. Look, no. Look. Did you think Alice Cooper was Saffron Burroughs? No, 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 no. Because no, 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 no. I, no. I, I don't, you know, I don't need to go into this, but I will. There's a scientific. It's a scientific, and it is anecdotal evidence <clears throat> that it, when you were trying to say LL Cool J ten times fast, the fourth time, you can't help but say Alice uh, Cooper. It's true. It's been proven. Hello, Cool J. Hello, Cool J. Hello, Cool J. Alice Cooper. Have you heard of it? MIT. Have you heard of it? Okay. San Francisco State University. You learn something new every day. University of Phoenix Online. Have you logged on? I have not. I haven't either. Yeah. Um, So, I mean, I think we all remember Bleed Blue Sea when it came out. I loved this movie when it came out. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, no, I love this movie. Uh, I think this is 1999. This is my favorite movie that would be on TNT in the afternoon. Yeah, I was lucky. I had HBO. It was on HBO all the time. Yeah, my mom was a Sex in the City fanatic. (laughs) Was she a Carrie or a Miranda? I, that's my mom. I'm not going to... Let's not even... I'm sorry. Go there. I'm sorry. You know, um, I mean, this is the movie where Samuel Jackson famously gets eaten by the shark that jumps out of the water when he's in the middle of the speech. I love stuff like that. It just catches you way off guard, you know? I, they don't do that in movies no, ever anymore. No, they don't. Like, I don't like, even remember them doing it before. It was just like, oh, cool, he's eaten by a shark. That's it. Probably the know? biggest actor in there gets killed... 
I, I would like to say unceremoniously, yeah. but it's pretty great. But yeah, it's happened a couple times in movies. Peter, not, you not put me. it very well to me when we were talking about this the other day that that is a quintessential '90s movie moment. Oh is yeah. him getting eaten by that shark. Just like that's what everyone talks about. It's yeah. awesome. And the shark yeah. bites the dude's arm off, you know, and she sinks it back into the water because you know she's dedicated to yeah. her work. But you know, I'm a huge Jurassic Park fan. I love theme park spun out of control type stuff and this isn't exactly that but but I, I it, it, it satisfies the same itch and I loved it I loved it it's a bad movie it's not that bad it's, I would it's say, not that bad I would say it's bad but very watchable it's, it's like, extremely watchable it's very 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 it's, watchable it's the effects the CGI of course is dated is, is, is all hell it's not yeah. that great looking but there's some like practical effects like some animatronics in there like when the shark is up on the uh, the observation mm, yeah, med yeah. deck that's a damn good looking animatronic shark yeah. damn there's a good shark we can get shark. these sharks we gotta weaponize these sharks we weaponize the sharks to fight Alzheimer's <laughs> I, just, I also love how they're they're trying to make the movie like I don't even remember until we read the synopsis that Alzheimer's is even a part of the movie. You know, oh, they're trying to make it seem like we're doing good work here. There's like, <laughs> we're doing the good moments. work. There's that one scene in the very beginning that's just very out of place when they're in like the helicoptering into the big office building in Toronto or wherever the hell they are, mm-hmm. and just like yes, we are business people, and you need to go check out this facility and make sure the good work is being done or whatever. Yeah, and while you're at it, watch all of the Jaws movies, three of them, uh, at least the first three. Not the Revenge, the one with Michael Caine. You <laughs> no. Can, you can skip Michael that one. Caine. Michael Caine. Michael Caine. Look at the space. Uh, but all the sharks in Deep Blue Sea are taken out in manners similar uh, to those of the uh, in the Jaws Jaws movies. Yeah, I think the first one is blown up in some fashion. The second one is electrocuted. Yeah, electrocuted, and I, man, actually, is the third one. I think the third one's blown up as well. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah but no, but but they're always um, um, that the sharks are killed in those first three Jaws movies, and even the director even. And I read this, and I thought this was super funny. Um, he's such an insecure uh, man child that that when he was he was designing his shark, uh, uh, the shark from Jaws is twenty five feet. He made his twenty six. Oh just like got top jaws that that forgettable piece of garbage it goes up to 11 you know <laughs> yeah, uh, but this one goes to 11 <laughs> yes uh, speaking to the director um, <laughs> it was funny after that. the first couple of test screenings um, so Saffron Burroughs um, who we didn't even mention in the cast um, was supposed to be like the main character they saw her as the main character but audiences hated her they saw her as like the reason everything went horribly horribly wrong in the movie and like they like they'd get like comic cards saying like you need to kill that character. <laughs> um, so the director had said, um, it just shows how audiences sometimes show you how clueless you are when you're so deep in a project. Basically, what happened was that in the audience felt so deeply that the scientist character, the woman who was behind the whole experiment with the sharks, that it was all her fault. In their minds, she was the bad guy, and in our minds, she was the only heroine. And we thought saving her was the key. Basically, we had test cards that said kill her. It was an amazing revelation. I remember all, us all sitting down and going, we're in trouble. How do we fix this? It was my idea, I said. Okay, we don't have time for a big reshoot, but I have an idea. What if she falls in the water? What if she doesn't survive? She gets eaten by the shark, and LL Cool J is the hero. Everybody likes him and Thomas Jane. So yeah, that's um, a fun fact there. Yeah, it's interesting, because like that's one thing that always stuck out to me when I was younger. Like, like why is... I didn't really feel that way. Like, like, oh, I, I didn't hate her or anything. I oh thought, no, I didn't either. I, I was just like, 
why'd she make it this far? <laughs> Just yeah. like I think she kills herself. She like she slits her wrist or her hand. Uh, yeah, to attract the shark. To attract with the, the blood. shark. It's just like why would you do that? You just like, and then what? you and then jump off from like a really high point and like you know not near like an area to get out. You know, it's like, you could literally have just have walk, done the same thing. If you ran down, swish your hands in the water, you know, and right. then the shark comes. And yeah, turns. Around. I just I just don't think. I, honestly, it's not a problem. It's fine. The movie is what it is. But yeah. just, I don't think that really fixed anything. And those test audiences, which as test audiences have proven to be, are idiots mm. um, and don't know shit. So... LL Cool J. They knew the LL Cool J. Uh, Ladies you know, rest love in peace. Cool James. Yeah, my dad was like... like my dad loved uh, Deep Blue Sea, and like he just, his favorite part was LL Cool J. But well, like, we know they loved him. We know yeah, that you, you're, so we know your dad would recommend uh, Deep Blue Sea. How about you? You recommend this movie? I 100 percent recommend it. I think if you like shark movies or creature feature type things, it's, it's one. Of, I, I mean, too early maybe to call it a classic, but it's it's, it's fun. It's a good time. Yeah. It's it's not like horrendously bad. It's a bit cheesy, but they they take it seriously. Like, it's not, I don't know, no one's chewing the scenery and hamming it up. Like, uh, there's some satisfying deaths in it, and it's cool. The sets are good. There's a lot of water flowing everywhere. That's my review. There's a lot of water. <laughs> gonna drown. A lot of water. Ocean water. Well, personally, I don't recommend this movie. Not. Oh, uh, yeah. Bring it back. Uh, yeah. yeah. Bring it back. Uh, it's, a, uh, it's about time for it to come back, you know. Uh, yeah. We're just, we're due. We're overdue. It's so stale that it's fresh again. That's what I'm saying. It's like that uh, uh, space astronaut ice cream. You know what I mean? Yeah, it just like removes all the moisture from your mouth. Shit is hell of good. Do a couple lines of that. You'll be floating in zero G's, oh baby. Oh, have you been snorting astronaut ice cream? Yeah, it's the oh, only man. way to get off. That's, uh, that's got to be real bad for you, man. It's uh, it's not great. It definitely dries out the nostrils and the face. That's not everything. It's just unhydrated powder. Your sinuses. Peter, you recommend Deep Blue Sea? Uh, yeah, this movie is like totally, totally watchable. It's pretty dumb, but I mean, you know, you get to see Michael Rappaport run around with his Brooklyn accent. Um, LL Cool J is obsessed with his bird. We didn't even talk about the bird at all. It's a, mm -hmm. bird. It's a bird named Bird, and it's like always like talking smack back to him. Um, but yeah, no, it's this is a totally watchable movie. Um, I would give it two bowls of shark fin soup. Ooh, not sold because that's illegal. That's tasteless. Oh man, that's tasteless. You're tasteless. Actually, I'm tasteless. I've been I've been on good behavior. You're tasteless. <laughs> not unlike that shark fin soup, right? And it's actually sold as fish fin soup overseas. They didn't even necessarily know that it's sharks. Just another anecdote. It's like, you know, poor, poor little guys. Yeah. No, I feel bad. Well, there's no shark finning in this feature film. No. We do not endorse that in any way, shape, or form. So, gang, let's get into it. Uh, let's start with our prequel. Uh, Peter, that was your duty this week. Uh, yeah. Let's go. All right. So, um, I hope y'all are familiar with Samuel L. Jackson's monologue in Deep Blue Sea. Oh, am I? This prequel is derived almost entirely from the information given in that monologue. Um, let's roll a clip. You think water's fast? You should see ice. It moves like it has a mind. Nature can be lethal. But it doesn't hold a candle to man. Now you've seen how bad things can get 
and how quick they can get that way. Well, they can get a whole lot worse. So we're not going to fight anymore. We're going to pull together and we're going to find a way to get out of here. First, we're going to seal off this Uh, you know, I thought uh, water was fast, but then I saw ice. Yeah, and then you're like, I was like, wow, that's just you know, it moves like it has a mind of its own. I know it's it's moving so fast it seems like it's not. Mm. It's kind of like a hummingbird's wings. Mm. But anyways, um, my my prequel is titled DBS: The Speed of Ice. Can't really directly call it Deep Blue Sea because there's no sea in this movie. So, but you gotta tie it in. So it's just gonna be DBS colon the speed of ice. It's like the Lost World Jurassic Park. Like, like decibels. Yes, like decibels, the speed of ice. I imagine it would be loud. Probably. Um, the tagline is You think water's fast? Have you seen ice? Appropriate. Appropriate. Um, and I've tagged to direct this Mr. John Carpenter. He will also be providing the score. Nice. Um, there will be That's no awesome. CGI in this, it's gonna be entirely mm. practical effects and matte paintings everywhere. I don't know how that's going to look on HD film, but we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> the sun rises over the Weisshorn Mountain in the Swiss Alps. Credits roll. Russell Franklin, Daniel Kaluuya, attends a hotel breakfast with his fiance Cassandra, Gal Gadot. They are greeted by Russell's uncle Dave, Keith David, and Aunt Marie, Melissa McCarthy. Marie complains that they should have gone to the Himalayas like they originally planned, but Dave argues that the Alps are much safer. Marie does a hilarious pantomime of a man climbing up a mountain. The group hops in a rental car with their hiking gear and drives to a dingy mountain tavern. Inside, they meet Russell's old college friend Larry, played by Josh Gad, and Cassandra's ex-boyfriend, uh. Stephen Yoon. <laughs> the group has a few beverages while they await their guide, the bartender, John Leguizamo, Ask them if they're climbing the Weisshorn. When they reply to the affirmative, he tells them, Nature can be lethal, but it doesn't hold a candle to man. The spirit of the mountain is hungry for the flesh of men. Their guide Hanson, David Diggs, arrives, and the group sets off to the mountain. They make their way up the mountain, and Marie does a hilarious impression of an abominable snowman. Russell asks Hanson about what the bartender said. Hanson tells them that so many hikers went missing up here, the locals thought the mountain was springing up to life to feast on them. Cassandra asks if he's seen anything out of the ordinary. Hanson points to Aunt Marie still doing her impression. After several hours, the group arrives at the summit. Larry wants to get a group shot of them and sets his camera up on a timer. After the camera flashes, they hear a rumble. Suddenly, a wave of ice comes crashing down on them. The group tries to outrun the deluge of snow, but are overtaken. Russell wakes underneath a pile of snow. He has Cassandra's glove in his hand. He starts digging violently. Five feet, ten feet, fifteen feet, but he doesn't seem to be getting any closer to the outside. A bead of sweat drops from his forehead and strikes the snow below him. He's been digging the wrong way the whole time. He finally breaches the surface and finds Larry, Hanson, Uncle David, and Aunt Marie. Jeff and Cassandra are nowhere to be found. Aunt Marie does a hilarious impression of a Saint Bernard drunk on brandy. The group starts sprinting down the mountain. They search for the rest of the day, but there's no sign of them. Even worse, Hanson reveals that they only have supplies to survive three more days. The group makes camp. Russell looks out over the horizon and clutches Cassandra's glove closely. 
Meanwhile, Cassandra and Jeff have made shelter in a small cave. They discover a series of cave paintings that show a man slowly transforming it into a monster in the snow. Cassandra notes she's cold and points out that she's missing one of her gloves. Jeff holds the ungloved hand, tenderly. Two days pass, and there still isn't a sign of Jeff and Cassandra. Dave tries to get them to give up the search, but Russell lashes out at him. He's not going to give up, even if it costs him everything. Larry stumbles forward. He can't feel his feet anymore. Hanson examines him. His feet have succumbed to frostbite. He'll need to be carried the rest of the way. Dave wants to leave him, but the rest of the group objects. Larry concedes that they should leave him behind. He's only going to slow them down. But Russell won't allow it. He's not going to give up. Back at the cave, Cassandra starts laying a bit of dry brush over the fire to create smoke. Jeff confesses that he's always loved her, and if he has to die somewhere, he's glad it's with her. Cassandra rebukes his advances, still committed to Russell. Hours later, the group climbs over the horizon and notice something. A waft of smoke. The two groups are united. Cassandra and Russell share a long embrace and kiss. Jeff is clearly not pleased. Hanson reveals a dangerous path they can take down the mountain that could save them before their rations run out. Uncle Dave points out a much more sensible path, which would take a day longer, but without any of the risk. Before they can decide, a second avalanche hits, forcing them down the riskier path. A day passes and they start to get restless. Hanson is exhausted from helping Larry down so far. Dave is angry they didn't abandon the search for Cassandra days ago saying they could have been home by now. Russell and Dave get into an argument which escalates into a fistfight. Marie steps in to intervene, but is inadvertently shoved by Dave to the edge of the cliff. As she starts to get up, the ground drops out beneath her and she falls to her death. Dave blames Russell, and Jeff agrees. Larry tries to swing at Jeff, but falls down hard on his right arm, dislocating his shoulder. Hanson screams at him for his carelessness. Larry is left to crawl the rest of the way. They're finally at the last leg before they hit the bottom. Jeff corners Russell. He blames him for everything. The two break into another fight. They grapple and start tumbling down the path. Jeff grabs a rock and starts beating Russell over the head with it. But Russell grabs a flare gun from his backpack. Jeff screams in rage and Russell fires the charge down his throat. He stumbles aimlessly to an unfortunately close ledge. Russell and Cassandra grab him. Cassandra tells him that she's never really let go of him and won't start now. But Jeff slips and hits his head against a rock, killing him instantly. As the group returns to base camp, they swear never to say a word about what happened. Cassandra tosses her engagement ring into the snow behind her. She tells Russell about the cave paintings, and says the monsters born in this mountain are all men. The credits roll over the group photo Larry took. A new rap song by LL Cool J plays. <laughs> <laughs> very nice. Uh, very nice, Peter. That is, like, way more dramatic. Uh, that is way more dramatic than I thought it would be. I mean, that's like, I just like, like a, a song of ice and sharks, but without sharks. Yeah, there's no sharks. In no, it. Uh, very I, little singing. Yeah, yeah. for some reason, because you kept saying Larry, I kept, and I, at some point, I started picturing Larry David. <laughs> I don't know if you consider oh, a man. recast, but I mean, I just think that would be hilarious. Oh, He's so now, old. Though. <laughs> which guy was Samuel L. Jackson's character? That was uh, Russell. That was that was Russell. That's okay, yeah. Russell. you're gonna hear it a lot. I, yeah. I, I, you know, and maybe this is just me, but I always just get confused because I don't know what these actors, what the characters' names oh, yeah, are, especially in the movies. I just remember the actor. But I like, you know, really if. If you're gonna do a prequel, I like you taking a like in Scott did in Face Off episode. Mm. Um, uh, you take a little tidbit from the movie and you expand upon it in a prequel. Like like it's not just 
I mean, I kept, yeah. imagine, I kept waiting for Yetis to show up. Yeah. But yeah. I do like how it was like a metaphor. The monster men yeah. of monsters and men, you know. And it's just like, man, audience, will, an audience seeing that movie, just like, yeah, I rate for the deep blue sea, fucking. Yeah. And what sequel. you got was uh, K2. Yeah, right, <laughs> no, right, exactly. Right, right, right. I mean, so I'm a mountaineering movie. I, hey, yeah. I'm all about subverting expectations. Yeah. Hell yeah. Like, I like that. And, and, and uh, yeah, and John Carpenter is an auteur, and, you know, he's going to make the movie he wants to make. And um, so this was a budget of $90 million. Rotten Tomatoes score, critic 65%, audience 70%, estimated box office gross $250 million. Actual box office gross sixty five million. Oh, it bombs terribly. Oh, well. it's one of those movies everyone tells you to see, but then you don't see. Maybe like like and it just slips through the cracks. It's it's a Friday, yeah. Friday comes out, everyone sees it. That's it. Yeah. It just yeah. drops off the face of the the mm. earth. That being said, like I could really envision that kind of a Carpenter movie. I can't imagine. Maybe it's just the thing. Yeah. Like, oh, well, yeah. The which thing, I know the yeah. last time you watched that, that's one of my favorite. The oh, thing yeah. Thing is badass. Yeah. And the. the yeah, the more, f you too. They, they don't make a lot of mountaineering movies anymore. No. I don't, no, I don't no. know how big the draw is. You Vertical know. limit. Well, yeah. I mean, it, if it you're fails. into mountaineering, yeah. that's fine. No yeah. judgments there. It's one of those things. I think that's cool that you can go out there and do that, but me personally. I, I would die. It's you one of those I mean? things. I mean, I would, I would die too. You know, it's one of those things. It's like. too fucking hardcore for me. It's one of those things just like, well, why do you feel the need to do this now? It's hard for you. It's like, you well, need to Well, the cold, climb and you're just, you're on a mountain, and you're, there's ice everywhere. I mean, that does not sound appealing, but if that's your passion, yeah. I say... Go for it. Go for it. Yeah, go do something outside. It's all good. Yeah, and you have to be physically fit. Oh, know, yeah. Like crazy physically fit to make something like that work. You have to be a real pink. You can't just snip. work out, you know, one to three times a year, like, you know, like some of us. Like know. me. Well, like pretty much probably us, all of us. Everyone except the cats. In the room. The, the, well, the kitties are always scratching on things, and they, they you know, that's a workout in and of itself. Yeah. Well, great job, Peter. Thank uh, you. Thank it was, you. A, it was, it was a good prequel. Um, could he use more sharks? I mean, yeah. At least one shark, like a frozen sh Like they wipe away the snow Fuck and they put you, their, their torch up to it. And there's just a shark, you know, just, just to have one. Yeah. Sharks. Or, or, or like when they're in the cabin, you know, in the beginning getting ready, you know, there's like just a picture of a shark uh, framed in the background. You know, you could just toss something like that in later. Or even the Deep Blue Sea uh, poster for the oh, movie. Yeah. Just touch that, You know, something like that would, yeah. you know, be tasteful. Well, you know. Why would the Deep... Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Sure. Moving right along, you know, yeah. uh, to the sequel, the Deep Blue sequel, Deep Blue sequel, which is not what I named it, although I was very tempted to. <laughs> it was it was the obvious choice, and you know we're all about subverting expectations. Okay. So here we go. The sequel title, deepest bluest <laughs> tagline: My hat is like a shark's fin. <laughs> Tagline alternate To survive and attack There's only one way Battle to the death That's how sharks play Is that fucking lyric from that song? Yeah, of course it's a lyric it I might don't know, be. don't it's, say it like I should know that I mean, just because the other <laughs> stuff was lyrics from the song It might be Let's just say that the the music video plays heavily into what happens <laughs> okay. in this movie. Just go. Okay, good. Uh, go, go, directed go, go. by James Cameron. Oh, oh of course. Okay. Uh, well, I had written mine before okay, you continue. sent me the thing. Uh, I'll just I'll, I'll I'll fume over here. And you know, and it's, and it's it's 
it, 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 you'll see how it ties it's in here. Quinky real quick. Uh, all right, here we go. Deepest Bluest is the latest formerly shelved masterpiece turned cult classic from visionary director James Cameron, who was the first pick to direct this sequel to Deep Blue Sea. Since, in the accompanying rap video to the original movie, LL Cool J mentions the Titanic more than once, both a ship and a movie directed by James Cameron. In this direct-to-video sequel to Deep Blue Sea, the threat posed by GMO sharks is taken to the next level. Down, that is, to the bottom of the ocean. Set in the underwater city of Rhapsody, a city built into the wreckage of the Titanic ship that famously sank. You know, the Titanic. Uh, Deepest Bluest meshes buddy comedy with high-level sci-fi intrigue. Starring LL Cool J as the affable entertainer Preacher and giant shark wrangler for the underwater circus show Questulon. And Ice Cube as the affable entertainer and giant snake wrangler D-Rich for the underwater circus show Questulon 2, Snakes. And co-starring Gilbert Gottfried as the sarcastic voice of Preacher's Parakeet. Oh my gosh. Get ready for this one. <laughs> the film opens on Preacher, you know, LL Cool J, in some auditorium deep in the layers of Rhapsody, standing over a large tank of water, balancing his baseball hat on top of his head, folded in such a way as if to suggest that it is indeed a shark's fin. Balanced on top of the hat's brim sits a glass of red wine, He's beating sweat as a crowd of hipster clown people stare on. Suddenly, a shark leaps out of the water and does a slow-motion kickflip over LL Cool J, knocking off the glass of wine with centimeters to spare. It spills into the tank to an uproar of applause. Preacher's parakeet makes a sarcastic comment. Oh, wow! Another successful shark job! Oh, God. You know, it's like poetry. Rhymes. Uh, Character classic, Diago. Preacher finishes taking his bows and adjourns backstage and fist bumps D Rich, Ice Cube, who is up next. They exchange How you do that shark thing? How you do that snake thing? In the dressing room, as Preacher gets out of costume, he pauses at a picture of Carter Blake, Tom Jane's character from the first film. A painful audio flashback of Carter Blake being eaten during a circus performance plays over LL's tear-streaked face. You wasn't focused, he says, before breaking into racking sobs. LL's tender moment is interrupted by a backstage floozy who saunters into his dressing room. After asking Preacher for a little assistance with the sex, she removes her, <laughs> she removes her life vest, to which LL replies, your life vest is off, and that turns me on. Cut to LL and Ice getting their drink on at the club. LL is feeling it, but Ice Cube wants to bounce to some club his friend was telling him about. Drunkenly, they get lost, and due to an erroneous door left open, they happen upon a secret meeting between President David Palmer, as played by Dennis Haysbert, the Allstate guy. <laughs> Palmer? <laughs> Cross universe. His wife, First Lady Laura Palmer, Aww. played by Cheryl Lee, and a giant cybernetic megalodon shark. 
The rap duo discovered that a vast mind control network has been employed throughout the underwater city. When they, LL and Ice, attempt to leave, they drunkenly knock over a barrel in a hilariously slapstick scene where they attempt to explain away their presence and place the barrel back upright. The shark immediately pulses out an alert message from its head into the city's security system, activating a city full of mind-controlled zombies. Luckily, the barrel was filled with automatic loaded weaponry because LL and Ice Cube are forced to shoot their way out of the room. How you just gonna shoot Laura Palmer after everything she's been through? Man, shut up. You just iced the president. After toiling through seemingly endless rooms of zombie fight scenes, eventually they run out of ammo and are stuck hanging from a chandelier. Suddenly, there's a gigantic boom, and a giant antique-looking underwater robot with a drill bit arm, as voiced by Tom Jane, bursts through the room after screaming, Come get some! Proceeds to annihilate all of the zombies in the room with various punches, drills, and stomps. After the scene dies down, the robot explains how he is inhabited by the lost soul of Carter Blake, Tom Jane. LL breaks down in tears and embraces the giant robot, claiming he was like the large dad he never had growing up. <laughs> I, I love you so much, man. <laughs> the good times hardly last long, as soon they are circled by giant smart sharks that launch psychic attacks against the group giving them a kind of cabin fever paranoia that ends in a standoff. Carter Blakebot shoots off an EMP blast that temporarily stuns the sharks. After snapping out of it, the crew brainstorms on how to bait the sharks into a trap, when suddenly, Ice Cube has a revelation. Foo. Cut to the parakeet floating on the water in a bowl, making some kind of terrible commentary and going off on some kind of vaguely racist rant, talking about the speed of water in comparison to that of ice when he is suddenly gobbled by the smart shark, who is now semi-humanoid and walking towards them, as if he was some sort of awesome jaw shark that you'd see in the street. Street Smart Shark and Carter Blakebot engage in a scanners-like standoff where they force psychic powers back and forth at each other. Eventually, bolts pop out of Carter Blakebot and water shoots out from the bolt holes. And then eventually he explodes. Oh shit, what do we do now? Says D-Rich. Our weapons are left behind. Now we're dueling with the mind. And in a sudden hypnotic trance, Set to a low-tempo, soulful rendition of You Are My Sunshine, Preacher and D-Rich meditate in harmony, eyes both turning completely black, like a shark's eyes, reaching a higher plane, and both dissolving into a swarm of CGI locusts that form into the shape of a great white shark. And as the swarm descends on the street-smart shark, only the words of LL Cool J can be heard. Me and my crew strike like some underwater locusts. And then also, my hat is like a shark's fin. Deepest, bluest, my hat is like a shark's fin. Where's my, where's my applause? Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Come on, you got to get hands free. I, I, I was clapping before this. Well, you, no, no, Peter was clapping. You're an absolute madman. That's amazing. Um, <laughs> I, liked, um, I liked how many robotic things you had fighting each other in that. There's um, something about you just naming Carter Blake. Blake. Carter Blake. Like, <laughs> just, yeah, Robo Carter Blake. Yeah, yeah. 
Tom yeah. Jane, um, I'm disappointed that you didn't mesh the two franchises of Anaconda and Deep Blue Sea. As soon as I heard Ice Cube, I thought that's where it was going. Cool. Well, he did. He did have the snake thing in the beginning. He did, but yeah. there's no sheer shaman. That's true. There was no sheer shaman. They, <laughs> I, I, you know, it's true. I didn't bring in this. I thought once we went into the zombie mode, it was kind of like this is a zombie movie now. <laughs> Paul Cerrone you know? fucking down in the water. The sharks. See, oh I should have had him come in and be like, the, um, saves the you know last moment. You know, hero. you know that. Oh, I'm sorry. He gives him a little wink. You know, he's all covered in goo. Right. You know what it reminds me of. Like it almost feels like like wild wild west caliber, mm. just like how it goes totally Ooh. off the fucking rails at the end. I like I could use <laughs> a giant robotic spider. So you're probably wondering what something like this would cost. Well, the budget was two point eight billion dollars, <laughs> making it the most expensive music video to movie adaptation in history. Probably one of the most expensive movies in history. Uh, most of the budget was spent on the unique engineering of a real-life living quarters and fully functional sets deep underwater in the remains of the sunken Titanic ship. But to be honest, that sounds like James Cameron. Rather yeah, than on sound stages in L.A. or Canada. It was one of those won't-budge commitments early on that everybody was sort of forced to accept because they weren't James Cameron. Though initially met with a wave of creative fervor, the reality of production life inside the sunken Titanic soon turned grim. Imagine that. Many of the crew suffered terrible nightmares and several reported ghost sightings. It is said that there was this filming experience that led to James Cameron going full Avatar on the Avatar production, Avatar, much preferring the desk chair to the decompression chamber. A combination of injury lawsuits followed the production of the movie. Post-production was inhibited by the use of underwater editing stations, which frequently became damaged by humidity. <laughs> Four post-production crews later, and the movie finally came out as a straight-to-video release on HT DVD and VHS. <laughs> it was due to this won't-budge contract early on that the video format prevented most anyone from seeing this unique gem of a movie, because no one has an HD DVD player anymore. <laughs> Some people have VHS players. And they are called cool people. It's like a good book. The Rotten Tomatoes score, critic score, 14%. Audience score, 54%. Expected gross profit, hopefully at least a billion. Actual gross profit, 80 million. And VHS and HD DVD sets. <laughs> no one can play it. Yeah. I'd love to watch this, yeah. but I can't. Yeah. So there you go. I mean, you know, it was a wild ride. You did a good job. Well, you did thank a good you. job. I, once again, taking a weird aspect of that first movie and <laughs> you know, rolling with that. <laughs> I mean, when it comes down to the deepest, you know, and we're talking about the bluest, you know, my hat—it's like a shark's fin. <laughs> All right, so we're th we're we're through the sequel. We've done the prequel. We're moving on to remake, baby. Remake. Woo! Uh, ha ha ha! As penned by. Desmond. Okay, <clears throat> here we are. So, this is the Deep Blue Sea remake title. Deep Blue Sea. Mm. Sorry, guys. Yeah. Didn't get too creative with no, that one. That's, that's acceptable. Tagline, swim faster. Ooh. Director, James Cameron. Rat Fink. Scott. What? <laughs> hey, I like I said, I had it written 
I had it written before you sent the thing. When you sent the thing, I was like, wait a minute, did he screen cap mine? And I was like, no, because I didn't share mine. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. To be, to be fair, you guys had the same director for the face-off episode as well. Well, John Woo. John Woo. Yeah. This is magnum opus. Yeah. I mean, yeah, but I'm just saying. Yeah. This is I'm the true. only yeah, one. Tell it to the judge. My name is Judge. <laughs> my name is Judge, my judge. name is my name is Judge. Judge, my name. Judge, my name. <laughs> anyway, let's get beyond the Arrested Development. Uh, Quoting. Oh, Kitty. Uh, Kitty wanted to join. Kitty's excited. Yeah. Did you write a prequel, sequel, or remake, Kitty? <laughs> he doesn't have opposable thumbs. He did not. Uh, Director James Cameron. This rat fink Scott hey, somehow we already, got into- we already did that part. You don't have to, you don't have to do that part again. <laughs> you can just go for whatever is next after that, okay? Fucker. Um, all right. Synopsis. Aquatica is the world's largest deep-sea aquarium and resort. Following a savage incident with a mini-submersible and the deaths of three guests... Aquatica's financial backers send corporate executive Russell Franklin, Idris Elba, to investigate the facility, much to Franklin's displeasure due to a fear of the ocean. Franklin arrives to the facility by seaplane and is transported to the main hub underwater via aquatic elevator, where he meets lead scientist Dr. Susan McAllister, played by Sigourney Weaver, biologist Jim Whitlock, Mark Hamill, a shark wrangler, Carter Blake, Chris Hemsworth, Marine animal behavior expert Janice Higgins, Emily Blunt, and engineer Tom Scoggins, played by John Leguizamo. (laughs) And I guess we just said we're on the same wavelength with that, Peter. Uh, Dr. McCall. Oh, so, so, I'm sorry. I'm the rat fink, but you guys both get to use John Leguizamo, and now that's all buddy John Leguizamo is a versatile character, actually. I'm just saying. It's different. Dr. McAllister gives Franklin a tour of the facility's various other attractions, such as the Arctic Zone, featuring walruses and emperor penguins. While amazed at the sheer spectacle of the facility, Russell is unsure of the safety of the guests and scientists. McAllister brushes off all comments and such concerns and invites Franklin to join the chief staff for dinner that evening. At dinner, Franklin is introduced to the eccentric head chef Sherman Dudley, played by Eric Andre, a sickly man with a ragged pigeon for a pet, bird up. After dinner, Dr. McAllister brings Franklin to the main tank to view the feeding of their sperm whale. Visitors and scientists alike congregate at the tank for what appears to be a snooty cocktail event. The whale's giant tail fin emerges and slaps against the viewing window, cracking it. And then again, breaking it wide open. Panic erupts as the tank begins to flood, glass shooting into the crowd and slicing them to bloody pieces as they all get knocked astray by the rushing water. McAllister, Franklin, Blake, and Higgins are the only ones able to make it to the elevator before the facility's auto-seal protocol kicks in, leaving Whitlock and the remainder of the guests to drown and be eaten by sharks who have smelled the blood and now taken over the flooded enclosure to feast. Meanwhile, panic has erupted in the upper levels of the resort as crowds of guests try to evacuate. One of the sharks slams Whitlock's corpse into the viewing bay of the main hall, shattering its glass and once again flooding the area. All three sharks burst into the scene, feasting and inadvertently freeing the Arctic Zone creatures. Dudley survives by sealing himself in the kitchen's walk-in freezer. 
Franklin, McAllister, Blake, and Higgins arrive to the science level and are greeted by Scoggins, who is in a state of panic. It is revealed that McAllister had been conducting unethical experiments on various sea creatures, including brain alterations and increasing communicative, communicative abilities. In other words, <laughs> in other words, the creatures are smart and can talk to each other. Mm. The crew breaks down as all seems lost until Franklin gives the finest damn pep talk 1999 has to offer. <laughs> you think water moves fast? You should see ice. A shark then jumps fully out of the open water hole in the lab and devours Blake in a gruesome fashion. Ooh. Higgins harpoons it, killing it, and coldly states, They should all be destroyed. The group then ventures to the very bottom of Aquatica to activate the manual draining protocol. Dudley opens the freezer door and narrowly escapes being murdered by a group of ravenous emperor penguins. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> he, he meets up with a survivor who... <laughs> he meets up with a survivor who is quickly killed by a walrus. The walrus has Dudley cornered until four dolphins bludgeon the walrus to death and eat Dudley's pigeon. They lose interest as they see a shark fin emerge off in the hallway. They roll out, looking for a fight. These are mean dolphins. Mm. Franklin, Scoggins, and Higgins make their way to the flooded bottom level in full scuba gear, holding weights to pull them down. On the way down, a shadowy figure emerges, revealing the star attraction of the park, the giant squid. It grabs Scoggins and rips him to shreds with its squid beak. Oh, jeez. Mm. Franklin and Higgins narrowly escape and manage to drain the base. They take a small submersible back to the surface, but are cut short when the giant squid attacks them. The day is saved when the sperm whale swoops in and attacks the squid. Mm. The two emerge from the depths and are greeted by Dudley and McAllister at the surface. They are intercepted by the dolphin squad, who are battered and bloody from fighting sharks. They glide through the water like torpedoes to attack. McAllister cuts her wrists and jumps into the water to buy the group time, for no fucking reason at all. As they get to the escape <laughs> helicopter, one of the dolphins leaps out of the water to attack and is quickly pulled back down by the squid's tentacle. Dudley exclaims, You ate my bird. The three escape. As they fly away, the InGen logo is revealed on the side of the oh, helicopter. Oh, snap. Rotten Tomatoes score, critics, 64%. Audiences, 87%. Nice. Mm. nice People love this. Yeah. yeah People I love it. it. I like yeah, it. I would watch it. I mean, I'm into it because, yeah. you know, you've got all the different creature types in there. The Emperor Penguins. And when was the last time oh, you man. saw anybody get, get killed by a penguin? Exactly. I mean, yeah, never. never. Exactly. That's, my, that's the yeah. raptors of this movie. I mean, yeah. a real penguin right. would well, never do that. No, no, no. But these are you know. altered. And like, yeah, I was just thinking the like... GMO like, penguins. Like, I've got sharks in it, but it's like, we've we've seen sharks. Well, yeah. We yeah. have sharks, but... The, the whole milieu of uh, different, you know, right. the, 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 the creatures. Uh, budget is $175 million. Expected gross profit, six hundred million. Actual gross profit, one billion, baby. This is Ooh. the biggest oh. movie ever. Oh man! So Cameron finally made back one of those billions. Exactly. They wasted. They wasted on uh, the four Avatar movies coming out. Um, I also want to note that there is a Gogurt tie-in for Tugurt. <laughs> Ooh. Tugurt. Uh, you know, no, the, it's, the tuna it's, of it's Gogurt. Tuna fish. Uh, oh. Tuna fish salad in, in a Gogurt sleeve. Oh. Delicious. Got your 
It's you healthy. Have, so you, with the tuna, you've got your mayo in there. You got your mayo. Okay, and you got your tuna. You got your tuna, right? And 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 anything else in there? Like scallions or, just, or just green, mayo and like tuna? Anything? Uh, no. Yeah, well, that's what you put into. So yeah, you got to put scallions in you there. Yeah, but scallions too, or like or like celery. Um, thanks everybody for listening so much. Uh, let us know which prequel, sequel, or remake was your favorite. But yeah, uh, you can follow us on Twitter at PreSequelCast, um, or you can like our Facebook page, which is Facebook.com/slash/PrequelSequelRemake, mm. or you can send us a film suggestion at prequelsequelremake at gmail.com don't look for that domain at anything I already grabbed it on everything so boom next week on prequel sequel remake will it be space jam or perhaps monkey bone or will it be jingle all the way Uh, Scott no they made a sequel to jingle all the way what yeah it's Jingle All the Way too. It stars Larry the Cable Guy. No!